Hi, welcome back to Crumbling Empires, a show about living here and now in the midst of crumbling empires with realism and with hope. I'm here with Alicia Akins, and we're going to talk about her book, The Gift of the Outsider. Thank you so much for being here, Alicia. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. I told you as soon as I heard uh, several months ago that you were writing this book that I've been waiting for it <laughs> uh, for such a long time, and I was so stoked to get to read it early, and um, I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, yeah, so thank you for writing it. Thank you for sharing it with us, and um, I'm just – I'm can't tell you how excited I am. I just how how much this topic matters to me and I think is is weirdly overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um so I thought a lot I thought about a lot of starting places for us and what I ended up doing actually is writing down this list of words that you don't really use um that I think this book applies to um here's my list okay it's like check your privilege uh microaggressions dominant culture savior complex uh violence of assimilation uh fragility and so my i yes (laughs) um i don't think you necessarily i don't get the impression that you are shy of those concepts, but mm-hmm. you didn't use those words. And so yeah. I, I I wanted to start there and talk about, ask you how you think about the angle you approach this topic from um, and perhaps how you think about using, why you chose to use the word outsider, mm-hmm. where maybe in certain conversations we're more used to using words like marginalized or oppressed. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, so actually, um, a part of the reason that I didn't use those words, which I don't object to, or those phrases, which I, I don't object to, um, is because I have noticed that um, those words um, feel maybe empowering to the people who use them, but less so for the people who hear them who are on the receiving end. Um, And so I I wanted this book to um, do two things. I wanted it to encourage people who are on the outside and marginalized. And I wanted it to challenge people who were on the inside and and had different kinds of privilege. And um, I know that there are a lot of words that um, people who are on the inside and have privilege hear that immediately makes them stop listening. And I wanted to keep the lines of communication open. So I, um, it wasn't a deliberate choice. I think this is just kind of how I talk to people about these things. But um, in the first chapter, I talk about this concept from um, C.S. Lewis when he's talking about um, outsiders and insiders and about how um, at some point in everyone's life, they will find themselves in a position where they want to move closer and closer to the inside. Um, And so it was that kind of um, framework from um, C.S. Lewis and his inner ring um, kind of um, 
work that he's already done that led me towards um, outsider language. Yeah. Um, and you, I would like you, there are so many ways that you list in your book um, that you have spent time as an outsider. Um, and I think those are, they're just so illustrative. And I, I really loved how you wove those together um, in this book that speaking to the outsider and to the insider, because, and you acknowledge there, we all live in both of those spaces Mm, and we move in and out of them. Um, But what are, what are some of the, just a few or however many you want to talk about, like times and places in your life that you have experienced being an outsider? Yeah. Uh, well, I feel like the most obvious one as a black woman, um, <laughs> being both a woman and being black, um, those are often positions that are marginalized. I mean, be, black people are in the minority in the U.S. Um, and so already there, I'm on the outside um, of that sort of racial demographic um, and women are often not the ones in power. And so um, mm-hmm. in that sense, I'm an outsider. But I've spent five years of my adult life living abroad um, in Asia. And so as an expat, um, I was also an outsider to that culture and that country and the language that they spoke and the customs and things that they had. So that was one experience. Um, I've been an outsider um, religiously um, in terms of, well, multiple occasions. (laughs) I'm not saying that these two are as extreme, but living in Seattle and living in China, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, where Christians are not the majority. And, you know, in the case of China, where, um, like, not only is Christianity not the majority, but there's um, government sanctions against the spread of Christianity and certain kinds of practices of Christianity. Um, So in terms of being like a religious minority, um, I tend to um, travel in uh, religiously conservative spaces, but I'm not politically conservative. And so that has often been a source of friction um, trying to convince people, no, really, I love Jesus. Like (laughs) I do, I promise you, I love Jesus. Um, but then also convincing, um, people who maybe I more closely politically aligned with that, like, no, really, I'm not crazy, you know? (laughs) Um, And so, uh, being in that space as well, um, I think those are some of the maybe more obvious or or bigger ones. So I did have this question throughout reading the book, um, which um, in some ways you answer by say, by the the book itself is called the gift of the outsider. That's a place that you have found to be very um, generative and spiritually alive for you. Um, yeah. But there's still this question <laughs> the, the entire time with me that's, why do you stay in some of these spaces? Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you think that there is a place where you are an insider or um, that you haven't found yet? Or I, I don't know. I feel equally outside everywhere. 
um, for some reason or another. Uh, and I've, I've talked with some friends of mine about this. They're like, oh, well, why don't you find a different church or why don't you find mm -hmm. like this space? And I'm like, to be honest, I can't think of a space where there wouldn't be some element where I felt not at home. Um, so I'm sort of equally not at home everywhere that I go. But um, in terms of why I stay um, in some of these places, um, when I lived in China, um, I, I lived in China for three years after college. And um, one of the things that I tried to do was realize that I uh, was an ambassador for not just Americans there, but for um, Black people as well, since most Chinese people would have had relatively um, scarce interaction with um, Black people just because there aren't a ton of Black people in that part of the world. And I got really good at being good humored and patient and... Um, I don't want to say accommodating, but I guess accommodating of people who were curious or who lacked the level of knowledge about people like me that would make me feel 100% comfortable engaging them. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something that as a part of my like day job, I get to talk to people who are preparing to go abroad and sometimes talk with people of color and say like, here's what you can expect, but you know, here's how your mindset can help you be successful in those spaces. And so I do feel like that helped build a muscle um, yeah. for me and um, continuing to approach those situations. And I wouldn't say that I was treated poorly, but I was definitely treated differently um, in a way that made me comfortable with being uncomfortable that made me um, okay with having to answer the same questions over and over again with different groups of people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like in a way, coming back to the States, I've still been in situations where that has, has been required, even though I've been back in my home country. Um, and I don't know where I would go, where I wouldn't have some amount of explaining of myself to do some element of the culture that I don't completely understand. Um, and so I feel like I don't feel called anywhere else. And so why not be helpful where I am? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really helpful for, for me to hear. Um, and I think maybe a lot of listeners that, um, there, I think for a lot of us, there there was a space that felt like home, mm. um, especially perhaps religiously. And there's been a lot of coming to terms on my part with the fact that yeah. that space is not going not, to ever exist again. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of strange to be like, I don't know, like church sick or community sick for something that like isn't going to return. Um, right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a strange and but sometimes unsettling place to be in. But I, I just, when I think about all of the spaces I could be, I'm like, where will this not, where am I disclaimer free and totally comfortable? <laughs> and I can't think of a place. Yeah. Well, I've also had the experience, uh, well, kind of more and more 
sadly, um, where something appears at first glance to um, to be to to cast itself as this thing that I think I've been searching for, mm-hmm. and per- often um, for a while it was these spaces where people did know all these words that I listed mm-hmm. at the beginning of this conversation. And um, then the gap between knowing the words and practicing the practices and yeah. being in the relationships um, became really evident really quickly. And I actually – so that is what I, like, find so very precious about your book um, is that you are talking about – the spiritual practice of actually doing this thing Mm. where so many spaces and people want to talk about um, on like this high level, what it means to be in community across difference. Yeah. And you're talking about how we actually do it um, and do it with God. Um. There, one one example of that was when, uh, I mean, we could, I think we could talk, we maybe we will talk this whole time about your chapter on discomfort. Mm, um, one of my favorites. <laughs> yes, and I think such a such a rich conversation to be had there. Um, and which is one of these really simple practices that I've realized a lot of people aren't just don't have like the muscle you're talking about Mm -hmm. is when you said how often do you wonder about who the least comfortable person in the room is yeah um and how could you charge their comfort to your account um that is just such a simple question that i think it takes a lot of practice to do that yeah um where do you where what are some examples of where you see people doing that or mm-hmm. or or not like what do you think gets in the way of doing that yeah. as well? Um, one uh, example that comes to mind is um, sometimes after um, racially charged incidents of violence, uh, you know, police brutality <laughs> um, occurs uh, towards um, black people. Um, it is like um, all of the white people come out with their questions and they, they want to know like, what can I learn? How can I know more? Tell me more about this. Tell me more about that. What are the resources? Like um, it's like class time, you know, classes in session. And I once had a friend who was like Alicia, a white guy who was like, Alicia, send people to me. And if you just need to rest, like, I will take the questions for you and I will help, like, um, yeah, I'll help take them for you. Or, like, I am a person that you can come to when things like that happen um, if you're feeling overwhelmed. Because I think people do think, like, oh, you know, Alicia's really helpful. This is a time where we can get answers for her. And I think he saw that. So he was, like... I will be the one to be overwhelmed instead of you in this particular (laughs) situation. So that's one that I think of. Um, Sometimes it could just be like uh, as simple as 
you show up at church and you see someone who's new sitting on one side and you see your friends on the other and it would be much more comfortable and maybe immediately gratifying for you to go and catch up with your friends who you haven't seen. But instead you decide to have awkward conversation with the visitors, you know, and like stand there and think about what can we talk about? Maybe you're not the best conversationalist, but you see that there's people who are alone. And so that's like one kind of way that you can, those people are, I don't know, maybe they're comfortable, but if they are new, they're feeling some kind of way. At least every time I've been new somewhere, (laughs) I feel some kind of way about it. Like, is anyone going to come talk to me? I shouldn't have come early. What is this experience going to be like? Um, And so you kind of help share or um, not even share, but reduce some of their anxiety about what's about to happen rather than just going and catching up with your friends. Um, And so I think your second to your second question about what keeps us from um, sort of charging other people's discomfort to our account. I think one thing is just being focused on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, That So often we go through the day to day um, tasks of our lives thinking about ourselves and (laughs) um, not thinking about who the other people are we're engaging, not thinking about the way our words are impacting them, not thinking about the days that they've had, not thinking about the baggage that they're bringing or the assumptions that they might have. Um, We're thinking about our assumptions and the days that we've had (laughs) and all of those things, Um, which makes sense because those are the ones that are most immediate and the ones that we know about. Um, But I think taking some time to sort of step back from certain Um, situations and really sort of take a read of the room or take a read of the people we're engaging um, and even just assume the worst in the best way. Assume that they've had a bad day. (laughs) Assume Mm -hmm. that, you know, they're bringing baggage that you can't understand. As my my boss likes to say, what is it? Assume positive intent. Um, But like just thinking about who you're interacting with, I think is one thing. And then I think a second thing is what I talk about in the chapter is people don't like to be uncomfortable. Um, And I have been thinking more and more recently about building muscles, partially because I've been exercising more, but I've also been (laughs) doing language, um, starting, starting language classes. And I just keep thinking back to like, if you don't do something regularly, it's not going to be something you regularly do. Um, (laughs) And the need to, maybe it's baby steps. And often that's it for me. It's like, I'm still using the five pound weights, even though I'm very far from the big, you know, weights that I would like to be using. If I don't use the five pound weights, I'm not going to get to the bigger ones. Um, And so sort of figuring out what the five pound weights are in terms of your own level of discomfort and what you can handle now. And then just gradually pushing yourself further and further into things that are a little bit less comfortable. Um, But I think people are just like, oh, discomfort, I'm out, you know, like, I don't like, I don't like this. So um, being mm, not being short sighted about how the discomfort muscle grows um, and being um, aware and actively thinking about 
um, other people, I think, are helpful. <laughs> yeah, do I, I guess you aren't like, you don't give a lot of advice in this direction. But would you encourage people to like, if they feel like they spend a lot of time being in an insider, find, seeking out spaces that are comfortable oh. as one does, would you encourage people to also seek out a space yes. to be an outsider? Absolutely. I think I do make that recommendation in the book to intentionally mm-hmm. put yourself in positions where you are the outsider. Um I think that that is incredibly valuable. And I I say that anecdotally because that is how I have grown in my comfort with being an outsider is because I've intentionally put myself in places. There's one place in the book where I talk about um, choosing the least diverse, least like me small group to join after my very (laughs) comfortable small group of people who are like-minded and um, I shared common interests with disbanded. I was Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go to this group of people who couldn't be less like me and I'm going to build friendships there. And I think that that is valuable for anyone to do, not just me. I mean, like, (laughs) to be honest, I probably at that point in my life didn't need that extra experience of being around people who weren't like me since that's been my entire existence. Mm -hmm. But I think that that is an example of the kind of deliberate choice that people can make to um, engage people who are unlike them to help them grow in this area. Yeah, I have... I've I've seen this over and over and I and myself um where I th- I think people people want to ask I think I've often had people ask me like how do you do this thing how do you have this conversation how do you sit with this person and they're asking me how I how I make it not awkward mm-hmm. and the the answer is like it's awkward and I <laughs> The more awkwardness (laughs) you just live with, the more, the less of a like catastrophe it feels like. Like humanity is awkward and that's like a great thing about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Awkwardness is not the end of the world. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think I, I was very, um, you were talking about the prophets as outsiders. Mm-hmm. At one point, um, as these voices railing often against the status quo that um, were generally not listened to, mm-hmm. <laughs> generally not welcome, um, which I hope that your thoughts are welcome. But I felt a very strong prophetic sense from um, your chapter about suffering, which mm. um to be honest, I was like at first I was like, where is this going? Because you were talking about Christians being persecuted. And I was like, I don't know if, you know, having to deal with pluralism is the same as being persecuted, oh, but that which is not what you were yeah. saying. So many that chapter was really hard. <laughs> yeah. To, like, find the right balance because I was like, somebody's gonna somebody who's not persecuted is gonna come in and be like, Oh, I'm being persecuted. Um, and that's like always the challenge well and then I also realized I think maybe you were kind of trying to like 
walk gently into this topic of suffering because the later in the chapter you said we Americans are the Walmart of Christianity. Mm. Our faith is cheap and not that great. And we think that we we think you said too that we think we're I don't know the Nordstrom whatever. (laughs) Some high end store. And nobody nobody wants what we got. (laughs) Um and so I um, I really wanted more from you on that. And I think where, how do we get from like baby stepping into discomfort into this, the actual giving up of ourselves that mm-hmm. you're talking about when we you talk about suffering and giving something up for Christ in our lives. That's something that's really costly. Yeah. Um, so to go back to the exercise and language learning example that I shared before, when you said, how do you get from baby steps to like giving up your mm-hmm. life? There is a sense um, in which we have in each day unlimited opportunities to die for ourselves or die to ourselves and choose to live for other people. Um, or to, uh, to put it another way, to honor other above our, others above ourselves, to um, seek the peace and prosperity of others before we seek it for ourselves. Like um, in the daily work emails that I send to people, I can try and score points, which I often <laughs> do. Uh, as per my previous email, you know, or I can decide to just like take a hit and respond with kindness. And so I feel like each day does present us with opportunities for practice that we might not realize or practice. Um, if we think that the small inglorious, um, sort of victories that we yield to others are insignificant or insignificant or are not worth making, um, then we won't see ourselves as having as many opportunities to improve. Like it doesn't take a huge sacrificing ourselves doesn't have to be huge, but it mm-hmm. won't be huge if it doesn't start little, I guess that, that kind of goes back, um, what I was saying before, but I think another thing that's really helpful in this way or in this process um, is to do this in community um, Mm -hmm. and to have trusted people who are on this journey with you who you can fail with and people who are on this journey with you who will let you fail. And um, in the beginning, when when you asked about why stay, um, I think I'm a person that other people can fail in these ways around. Um, And I think it's important to have those kinds of people around, you know, like people who aren't going to cut you off if you say the wrong thing when you're trying to figure out how to be an ally or how to be Mm -hmm. supportive. Um, They might say like, I don't have the bandwidth for this conversation in this exact moment. Um, But they aren't like, I can't talk to you because the way you're behaving is antithetical to my beliefs. Um, and so I think 
the community that you're a part of can really help shape and determine your ability to grow in making sacrifices for other people. And honestly, the kind of suffering that some people go through, the only way they get to it is because the suffering has presented itself to them in their life. Like, uh, (laughs) people don't think that they can get through cancer until they get cancer. People don't necessarily think that they can get through, um, infertility or miscarriages until they are faced with one. And so I think in a sense, um, when those really hard and trying things happen, um, is when you discover whether or not (laughs) you're (laughs) able to do them well. And then when you face them, I think knowing Again, looking back and being able to see, oh, you know, when I think about the things that that God has done in my life, I or done in other people's lives, done in my friends' <laughs> lives, done in my family's lives, um, I can bear this in community um, well. And I know that some people only have negative things in their own life to look back at. They look back (laughs) on their life and they see disappointment and failure and failure from the people that they would expect to be on this journey with them. Um, And they don't have past experience with a church that has been the kind of church that moves people in this direction. Um, And to those people, I would say find community wherever you can. <laughs> um, it might not look everyone's community that's helpful for them in welcoming um, the outsider might look different. Yeah, yeah. You um, I, that is super super helpful um, because the um, lots of reasons, but. When we talk about giving up something of ourselves, that also you you go back several times to like that requires so much discernment, um, and so we do we can't even start to really do that um, in a healthy or effective way if we don't have some sort of um, discernment community around us as well. Yeah, um, and so. Yeah, I think in some ways there's like times when I am really uncomfortable with language of loss of self, and then there's other times when mm-hmm. I use it. When, but um, I, we talk about letting go of the ego, like that's kind of yeah the same the same exact language. And I've been really pondering lately how. Like my entire life, one thing that has stayed really constant in my um, my love for Jesus and my uh, tenacity of staying with Christianity has been like a, a certain sense of adventure. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I feel that with you too. I hear I hear that in your writing and in your speaking and 
your language learning and um, having gotten to know you a little bit before. Um, the I think a lot about the songs we sing you know, and or used to sing about like um, spirit, whatever the song is, spirit send me on the water. And <laughs> what's that song? Lead me where my trust is oh, without yes. borders. Yes. Uh-huh. What is that called? <laughs> and Anger, maybe something like maybe, that? Maybe. Yeah. And then like, where, where is that actually playing out in our lives? Mm. It has to be where we, where we stand to lose something. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, you're absolutely right. And um, I, I do think that this, giving giving of ourselves or how, however you would p- put it um like the example that we have in Christ is something that is costly um yeah. and there's a small book that is my favorite christian book it might be and by small i mean like it might be 20 pages 30 pages and each page only has one sentence on it it's like my kind <laughs> of book <laughs> Um, but there's each of the sentences starts with if it's by Amy Carmichael and it's just like a darling, um, book, but one of them says, if I forget that the path of the cross leads to the cross and not to a bed of roses, um, I have, I do not understand, um, uh, covenant love or something like that. But like the point about like the way of the cross actually leading to the cross, like I need that reminder often. And it's not like a, let me torture myself. Um, Hmm. But I do think that there is a sense that um, the cross isn't all bad. When we are led to the cross, that is, that is like, the fruit of Christ's work in us. Um, And there, if I had to choose a life where I could see fruit that Christ was being formed in me in some way, that I was being shaped in the same manner as he is versus one where I just look like me (laughs) all day, every day. Um, with no evidence besides the words that come out of my mouth that I have any kind of um, relationship or understanding of God and Jesus, then, then I would choose the one where it's obvious who my, who I'm following, you know? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. um, And that, when I think about, crumbling empires i think i often talk about things in a in a slightly weird way because i just start from an understanding that death things die and um Mm. jesus like jesus brings us to a place where that's not the worst thing that can happen Mm. um or and where uh like you say in the book where we're what we're relying on is not this these systems and structures uh, that seems so all-encompassing and all-powerful. Um, I think you talk about you talk about this um, suffering and this like Jesus-formed, cross-shaped life a lot in the book. But 
Um, speaking speaking of adventure, actually, and um, just the many places you could have taken this, I'm curious how you actually um, chose the chapter title, like the gifts you chose mm-hmm. to specifically talk about, because they're are so many more gifts of outsiders i should have asked you before i did the outline (laughs) (laughs) because i could have used some more like i could definitely i was thinking about to be honest a lot of i started working well i started working in earnest on this book when conversations um were happening um like publicly on twitter and in other places about diversity um, initiatives in the U.S. and things that were getting shot down, like uh, different kinds of programming, like we can't talk about this anymore in certain places in the States. Um, but also when there was the, a lot of discussion about Christian nationalism mm-hmm. and um, I was just going on Twitter every day and seeing the kinds of things that those people were elevating as good and pure and right and was just kind of reacting strongly against those that like oh you're afraid that the that christianity will become a minority religion in this country and like you claim that like the country that um or that the church in a country where christians are free to do whatever they want to do is the strongest church well (laughs) have you heard about these Christians in this other place where they're the minority and they're like, like run laps around us in terms of their faith and perseverance or um, it's often the case where people who are healthy, you know, like at the end of the pandemic or depending on whether or not you think the pandemic is still here um, (laughs) uh, towards the end when things were opening back up and sort of the church was going back to prioritizing healthy people um, and their ability to gather together um, and sort of forgetting about people who were immunocompromised or had other health um, issues that required that they not rejoin. I thought about those people. Um, I thought about I myself as a single person who's um, maybe 10 years ago, it was like me and my friends and we were all single and it was great. Cause you know, people get married later and now everybody's married except mm-hmm. for me. And, um, I used to be like, Oh, you know, being single is not that bad. People who lived in the suburbs were always complaining about it. And I was like, just move to the city where everyone's single. Um, <laughs> now I like, I get it in a way. It's not that I, I still am like, okay, being single, but I miss my friends. And I've noticed that the world kind of revolves around people being married and people having kids and uh, the way that people think about the contribution single people have to make to the church, I think needs correction. Um, And so the, the way that I came up with the list was kind of like, who do I think a lot of people in the church are, what are what are the values that the church is starting off with or the assumptions that it's making that if you're healthy, if you're married, if you're in power, if you have money, um, if you're comfortable, uh, mm-hmm. if you have freedom, um, if you um, sort of don't 
I don't know how to fit justice into that piece because justice is one of the chapters, but like um, the, or like keeping quiet about injustice, I guess, like not making waves in that way. Um, That these are the ways to a healthy, vibrant church and me being like, no, I I think (laughs) that's not, there's no causal relationship between those two. And in fact, some of the very things that you prize could be doing more harm to you as a church than you think. Yeah. I actually had um, the, another piece I wanted to read that is exactly about that from the gift of the outsider. You wrote in the church of the insider, everyone assumes their concerns are universal, exhaustive and paramount. <laughs> Fringe concerns when they do arise are not addressed as they do not have the critical mass worth expending the effort to find a solution. We also could have talked for 45 minutes about that. Cultural references are assumed to be meaningful to all. And you, you described some other ways. Um, the status quo is sacred. Groupthink is worshipped over shalom and challenges to it are viewed as threats, not opportunities. Such a church is plagued by the paradox of people not seeing themselves because they only see themselves. Um, I think we could like frame that and put it on the wall of like every board, church board meeting room, (laughs) you know, the ultimate insiders. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if this is not at the top of your mind in every meeting, then this is going to be your default, you know? Yeah. Um, and so you're, I'm so grateful for your voice in all of these spaces. Um, I know um, a ton of my readers and listeners are going to really um, be so grateful for your chapter on chronic illness and disability. Um, and, and thank you for your voice in that space. I've learned <laughs> so much from you. Like, Honestly, I started having um, chronic health issues like back in 2019, so not that long ago. But when I was thinking about like how do I how do I handle this and faith, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I know someone who deals with this, and I'm going to (laughs) go find the things that she has said. So you've been very helpful for me in that space as well. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear Um, because we, you know, we just put things out there and they go away. (laughs) Um, Like half of your Instagram posts like bookmarked. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Wow. Well, uh, my final question is usually, um, how do you define hope and where are you finding it these days? Hmm. Um, how I define hope. Um, this is maybe not going to be the best answer that anyone has ever given, but, uh, hope is, uh, let's see, a time bound effort to believe the promises of Christ 
Um, and by time bound, I mean, at some point we won't need it because the promises will be completely there and true and staring us in the face. Um, and we won't need to hope for anything. So hope is something that we use to get through our days here, um, but not something that we will need when we encounter Christ face to face. Um, and I think the, some of the ways that I've been seeing, finding hope recently um, are... So I'm in a leadership position at my church, and the first couple of years, I was convinced that there were things I needed to do to improve the church, and if my initiatives didn't happen, then everybody's screwed, you know, like, I am so important, and the things that I want to do are so important, (laughs) and I went on sabbatical, and while I was gone, things started to happen. (laughs) And since I've been back from sabbatical, it's been really encouraging to see, uh, not just that they're happening, but that the Lord did them without me, which is kind of a strange (laughs) thing to say that you find hope in that. But like God's love for his church is bigger than my love for his church. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm encouraged that he will, in his time and in his way, bring beauty to the church in the ways um, that it's needed. So. Yeah, there is, um, that trust, I just, there's not a, there's not a way to build it other than to, to experience things like that. So thank you again for being here. I'm so grateful for your book. It's coming out on September 5th, The Gift of the Outsider by Alicia Aikens. Um, it's a gift itself. And so Mm. are you, Alicia. Thank you. Thanks, Lindsay.